Hey, brother. Hello, brother. So, after some technical difficulties, welcome to Season 6, Episode 3 of Match Wits, a special Saturday night uh, Groundhog Day edition of the Match Wits podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Steve, alongside my brother, Chris. Say hi, Chris. Hello. Uh, if you're new to this podcast, Match Wits, we handle uh, kind of pop culture with a nostalgic twist to it. Uh, we go over all sorts of different topics, ramblings. Uh, we touch on stuff from our childhood. We touch on stuff going on in popular culture. Uh, today, we're going to touch on Groundhog Day a little bit and uh, the movie with, uh, with Bill Murray. Uh, we'll talk about Punxsutawney since we have, I have some roots, or we have some uh, connections, I should say, not roots, but connections back to Punxsutawney. Uh, and then we'll get into our uh, top six list for today, uh, which is going to be top musicians turned actors. Uh, but before we jump in, I should mention, we didn't mention this uh, in the earlier podcast this season that we talk a lot about movies and TV shows. We try our best to avoid uh, spoilers, but there is a chance that uh, we can let one out. So just be, be warned. They're going to talk about things. We'll try to keep spoilers to a minimum, uh, but they might be here. So that's if your, I that's could, your If warning. I could just interject one thing about spoilers in general, if you can read a spoiler and then it ruins the movie for you, then the execution of the act of the spoiler itself doesn't work. You know what I mean? Like, if you knew that certain things happened and then when you saw it in the movie, it didn't work just because you knew about it beforehand, I think it's kind of a cop-out and it wasn't executed properly. The only one I can actually think of about a spoiler that I was actually surprised about was the reveal of Giant Man in Captain America Civil War. Like, they did that so well. Like, we didn't see any kind of press about it. We didn't see any set photos or anything like that so when i saw it in the theater i was like oh okay but there's other movies that i've seen that i've kind of known spoilers going in and it doesn't ruin the effect for me because the movie is captivating enough if that makes sense i will i will challenge you on that for with one director m night Shyamalan. okay but you knew from his first movie that everyone was going to have a twist like, I but, read, I haven't seen Glass yet, but I already know what happens in it. But I don't care, because if he tells the story properly, then it doesn't really matter. It's never the destination, Steve. It's the journey to get there. Because all the stories have been told. Like, if you ever do, like, Steve, you know, but the, the listeners might not know, that I'm a, I'm a screenwriter, and I've been working in film and stuff like that. So all of the stories have been told like everything that you've ever seen has been told in some variation somewhere. And it's not the story itself. It's how the director and the writer tells it. So the reason that M night works to a certain extent is because he's a, he's a pretty prolific storyteller. He knows how to, to develop captivating characters and things like that. So even though you know from Sixth Sense that you expect a big twist ending, it shouldn't matter because the journey to get there was captivating enough. So that's just my input. Yeah, you know, I, I would agree with that. I would, but, but Sixth Sense in particular, there was that – the first time you watched that movie, there's a magic to that twist because it was – it was right in front of you the whole time, but yet it eludes you. So. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to state something, Steve, and you can say, like everybody else that says bull, bull crap when I say it, that I would say probably about 45 minutes, maybe 40 minutes into the movie, I was sitting next to Benny, my one of my lifelong friends. I've known him for 20 years, and we're 
probably as cynical as the, the other person. So I turned to him at one point and I looked at him and he said, what? I said, Bruce Willis is dead. And he just looked at me, he goes, bullshit. And then at the end of the movie, he looked at me and like, Steve, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to inflate my ego. My ego is plenty big as is. I don't need to, but it was one of those things I, I turned and looked at 45 minutes in and I was like, he's dead because she didn't interact with him and because nobody interacted him through the whole thing because I'm a cognizant movie watcher. <laughs> I notice weird shit like that constantly as I'm watching movies. So all right. I'm not saying I'm not patting myself on the back all that much, but yeah. Fair enough. And then, and to your point, once you see, once you saw that, then when you see like the village and stuff, yeah. you kind of look for it, but then you're like, oh, wow, I didn't see that. So anyways... We will try to keep spoilers to a minimum, but no, you're I gonna, won't. you're gonna. Okay, <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Spo- spoiler, spoilers ahead. So, if you haven't seen Groundhog Day, the um, 1993 movie with Bill Murray, I highly recommend it, particularly at this time of year. 26 uh, years old, Steve. You don't have to do a like. There has to be a statute of limitations on spoilers. <laughs> like maybe half a decade, like five years, maybe. You're talking about a movie that's 26 years old. That's a good point. So, anyways, it's it's a great movie. Um, you know, Bill Murray. It's a Harold Ramis movie. Uh, takes place in again a place that's uh, near and dear to my heart, Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. Uh, have a lot of close friends uh, that came out of Punxsutawney. Um, you know, Chris and I are both Western Pennsylvania. We were born and uh, raised in Erie, uh, but I, I went to college not too far from Punxsutawney. Chris a little further in uh, in State College. Uh, but again, I met uh, a group of folks that were all born and raised in Punxsutawney, became lifelong friends with them, uh, spent a lot of time during college and after college uh, in Punxsutawney. And it was it was awesome to see the effect um, uh, that this movie had because it, again, it came out in. Uh, 93. So that's right when I was in, uh, scary enough, right when I was in college. Um, <laughs> but the effect that that had on that town, right? Because uh, sure. Punxsutawney Phil goes back to the 1800s and Gobbler's Knob and, 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 and even as I, I think there's like some, there's just some tradition uh, steeped in, in pulling a, uh, uh, a groundhog out of a hole. And if it sees its shadow, uh, then I always get this wrong. If it sees its shadow, it's more six more weeks of winter, and if it doesn't, there is uh, uh, an early spring. And this year was one of the few times I think there's only been uh, a handful in the last hundred years, like less than twenty, where he's not seen a shadow, and he did uh, not see a shadow today, which means an early spring. Sure. Uh, but but when that movie came out, not only was it a great movie, and 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 the movie's not a, I mean, it's it, Gra- Groundhog Day is part of the canvas. Uh, that they play this movie out on, but it's about a guy that kind of gets stuck in the same day uh, over and over again and, and kind of keep has to work through it until he can kind of, kind of better himself. But sure. the, the, the idea of this whole, the whole backdrop, and it wasn't even filmed in Punxsutawney. It was, it was filmed like Indiana, wasn't it? it? Yeah. It was filmed. So in, in like not too far from Bill Murray's hometown in Indiana, yeah. uh, there's a couple of shots or, and you know, they set up some of the sets Insurance, to look like, cause yep. Yeah, because there is a uh, – if you go in the Punxsutawney, at least it was, and it's been years since I've been there, there is a big two-story wooden groundhog right in the middle of town. And, mm-hmm. and, and you see some similarities there. Like they stage it out to look like Punxsutawney. But it's just amazing that that, you know, that movie kind of put Punxsutawney back on the map, um, and it made it a destination. There's tons of people. They get celebrities. Um, uh, what's his name? The guy uh, – 
Stephen Tol I can't pronounce his last name. Tobolowski. Tobolowski. Yeah, Ned Ned Ryerson. <laughs> Ned Ryerson. He like, he's gone back for Groundhog's Day and yep. and been like the um, I guess what they call the Grand Marshal or whatever. And well, Steve, and, did you ever go there for Groundhog's Day? Well, I was going to mention, as, as many times as I've been to Punxsutawney, as many friends I've had and even have some connections, but I own the domain name uh, <laughs> with a friend of ours at uh, you know, hogday.net, and uh, <laughs> we sold Groundhog Day t-shirt, but I had never been to Gobbler's Knob for Groundhog Day. So, Funny, funny, funny story that I have. I went the, the last year where they allowed open containers at Gobbler's Knob. We drove mm-hmm. up. I went to Penn State, for the listeners who don't know. So we actually got it. It was the year we decided to go. I think it was on a Monday. So it was like Sunday afternoon. Everybody was all hung over. And we're like, does anybody want to go up to Punxsutawney for Groundhog's Day? And everyone kind of looked at each other and we're like, yeah, let's let's freaking do it. Let's just drive up to Gobbler's Knob. Steve, this is pre-GPS. This is pre Google Maps, this is pre-map <laughs> quest. So we literally had a map, and the one guy got up and started drinking at like 9 o'clock, 8 o'clock in the morning, whatever it was. So we got about halfway to Punxsutawney, and he threw the physical map out the window. <laughs> so we had to navigate just by uh, road signs and things like that. And we pulled into Punxsutawney, and everyone just kind of looked at us, and we're like, we're looking for Gobbler's Knob, or Gobbler's Knob and they just pointed us to a direction and we went and we parked and we got out and we went to a liquor store obviously I wasn't 20 I think it was my sophomore year so I was like 20 at the time so we went and we got a bunch of 40s and stuff like that and we wandered down to Gobbler's Knob they were playing live music see we didn't get there until probably midnight and they don't pull they don't pull Punxsutawney Phil out until like seven o'clock in the morning it's got to be daylight so we drank in a field with all of these central pennsylvania western pennsylvania folk until like seven in the morning like we saw some of the most entertaining things that i've ever seen in my entire life i saw fornication i saw vomiting (laughs) i saw all sorts of things but the next year after we were there they refused to let anybody have alcohol at gobbler's knob Oh, I'm sure. And I'm guessing that probably is kind of your post-movie, I would guess. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cause yeah, I, yeah. I didn't start college till 97, and I think we probably went in 99, 2000 maybe. So. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, because it turned into like an annual pilgrimage to party, and it people was... would come from all over and go to Punxsutawney. And Punxsutawney is a great town to party in, but you get people from all over the place <laughs> you know, descend, coming out of Pittsburgh or what have you, descending on that place for uh, an annual party. I don't know if you like you've probably been there during the off season and stuff like that. Like Gobbler's Knob's not that big. Like Punxsutawney itself isn't that big. So when you get thousands and thousands of people descending on this small town and kind of taking over a field in the middle of nowhere around a hollowed out tree that a a groundhog lives in (laughs) you know what I mean like it was I remember walking in and it was I was young at the time and I think I even had to drive whoever's car it was and stuff like that so I wasn't drinking and I remember walking in and watching 
this party kind of developed and watching my friends get kind of hammered and stuff like that. And then kind of being the sober one puts it in perspective and it was crazy. It was thousands. I don't, I don't, I can't even give an accurate description. Maybe 10,000 people shoved in this tiny field in the middle of the night in February in Pennsylvania. So it was ice cold. Like everyone was freezing. You could see people's breaths and stuff like that. But people were just drinking, partying, having a good time. And then I remember the next year we were talking about like, dude, that was so much fun. We're going to go back. And they were like, yeah, they now are restricting the open container laws. You can't buy alcohol there. You can't bring alcohol there. And we're like, yeah, we're not going back. So I just like to leave that memory compartmentalized as <laughs> one of those moments that because apparently bill murray was there the year i was there because the, the movie was obviously so real popular and stuff like that but we never actually saw him and he didn't get up he wasn't the honorary guy that yanks phil from his hole or whatever so right no and it's not, and 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 i'm scrolling through looking at the, some of the notes here and you know and both harold ramus and bill murray both were grand marshals and so mm. was steve tobolusk Tobolowski, come on, you're, you're, uh, a, uh, you're a Polak, uh, yeah. Steve, you should not uh, pronounce that. I know, alright, so... But well, wait, wait, hold on, before we move on to the next topic, have you ever actually done the research about how long Groundhog Day actually is, the movie itself, like how long Phil repeats that loop? So if yeah, you just, I, I, yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, it's super, super dark. Like when you hear Harold Ramis talk about it, he was like, "All right, so the original concept, like Phil was trapped in this loop for about ten thousand years. Because if you take each one of the individual skills that he learns, the ice carving, the playing the piano, any of like, I think he learns a couple languages and stuff like that. And so it takes a certain amount of time to master each one of these skills. And in order to be good at it, you have to be a certain level. And those are a certain amount of hours. But in order for like the amount of skills that he learned, the amount of time it takes to master those, it like it's supposed to be way darker than it presents itself. Like it presents itself kind of dark because spoiler alert for a 30 year old movie <laughs> Phil tries to kill himself and things like that but each one of those times like, it repeats and repeats and repeats so in order for him to figure out every minute detail about the townsfolk and the people in the diner and the people that he sees and stuff like that it takes about 10,000 years mm -hmm. Steve like not days he's right. not repeating that for 10,000 days he's repeating that for 10,000 years which is way way darker than it presents itself on the surface so i always wanted to point that out like even the ice carving itself like ice carvers talk about like it takes about 400 hours of dedicated ice carving to be even become good but to get to the level that phil was out probably would have taken even longer than that so like that level or that movie as it presents itself as kind of a happy comedy that has some dark elements is way darker once you start getting underneath it. So, right. So. Well, yeah, and and I and I think they, it was a conscious decision to take some of the darker stuff out, right? Sure. Because once once he realizes that he's in this loop, he does all sorts of you know things to have fun with it. But he could have gone much darker, right? I think it, the original it, script was a lot darker than that. Like I remember Harold Ramis and 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 Bill Murray talking about how it was supposed to be more of a 
philosophical drama than a straight out comedy because people heard Bill Murray and Harold Amos and they're like, oh, this is going to be one of those, you know, like even Stripes has a certain anti-government, anti-military angle to it because it's Harold Ramis and stuff like that. But when you get into like what Harold Ramis has done a little bit later in his career, like, like Groundhog Day is super dark and has a lot of philosophical because Phil is technically a god in that movie and he can create life and change and all these things in these people's lives that have no idea what they're doing. So it's one of those ones that everybody talks about, like those kind of movies being kind of superficial comedies. When If you actually think about it and and do a little bit of legwork and research into the background of it, it's really dark and and presents a lot of – or posits a lot of moral questions, which I always like about movies. Yeah, of course. And and again, they – they could have gone much darker too, right? With the – you know, they could have – he could have done things really on the dark side of all this. But they kind of kept it – you know, it's dark and the concept is dark enough that they – they kept it, you know, uh, at least light and funny, and the things that he did weren't too too morose. All right. So what what we want to move to, on to next is um, top musicians turned actors. Now this is going to be the hardest one that we've tackled yet, and and we might all ultimately I like because I, I don't know that I could pick six. Um, I think I want us to settle on six. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, right. absolutely. Because even Cause, the ones the ones that I have, you might not even think of. Because I come from, you're the one that introduced me to hip hop at an early age. You're the one that introduced me to Public Enemy when I was like 12. Beastie Boys when I was like, you know, that same age. Like all of that stuff that I grew up listening to, my musical tastes have skewed. So when I when you start getting into like my demographic, well, of course I'm going to be 40 this year, but my my list skews a little bit more hip-hop than I think yours might. So I think I might have some that you don't. And I have some really good stories about a couple of them. So we'll see. All right. So instead of me just rattling, I'm going to rattle off some, but I've got, I mean, my list is probably 20 long, sure. maybe longer. Um, what I tried to use for criteria here were, were they were musicians first. Yep. And then they got into acting. So that goes a couple of ways, right? You get musician, you get popular, and or yeah, and you're, and particularly if you're in pop music, then they look at you know transitioning like Britney Spears into acting and, and other things. So, um, but I tried. <laughs> but, but Steve, I wouldn't exactly if we're talking the best musician turned actress actors or actresses. I wouldn't put Britney Spears. No, the top no, no, no. That's my point. So yeah. in my head, I've got a. Uh, I've got a criteria that you give them 10 points for how good of a musician they are. And you give them 10 points for how good of an actor they are. Right. That, that, again, this is in my head, but then I've got a lot of like, like, what do you put Steve Martin? Right. Cause he was technically, he was an he was actor a first, yeah. but he's like the stuff he's doing now with Edie Raquel and, and his, like, that is great music. And he's really kind of, change you know he as a as a complete artist kind of reinventing himself reinventing himself we're just doing things he's write books he's authored a bunch of books and everything so but where do i put him but he's not on my list no Um, he's not on mine either but like uh, from what i heard like the him and martin short doing the retrospective about their careers with 
music. I think what is Steve Martin really skilled at the ukulele or no, whatever, banjo, banjo, whatever that oh. is. Like they're they're both extremely talented musicians, but I don't know Steve Martin and Martin Short as anything other than comedians that can play music. So yeah, no, his his the bluegrassy type stuff that he does with Edie Brickell is awesome. Sure. Like you look it up on Spotify or whatever. The other one that is like not on my list, but I'll talk about it a little bit is Kevin Bacon. Sure. Right. And the Bacon brothers, the Bacon brothers. And, and all that. But was he really like, was he, was he that first? No, not really. No, um, he was, he was the guy from animal house. Like, exactly. He was what, exactly twenties. Then I think he was trying to figure out whether the acting or the music was going to take him mm-hmm. further. And he figured out that the acting was going to take him further, and then he pushed the music a little bit until later in his career. Because I don't know if anybody would have considered the Beacon Brothers as a draw until he was in Footloose and Quicksilver. You know what I mean? Like, if he didn't have that storied career, then people wouldn't go see the music because the music is—it's okay. Like he's a—he's a—he's a good musician, but I wouldn't put him anywhere near some of the other ones on the list. I agreed, agreed. And the other one I have that I kind of ruled out because, again, I think it came later with Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Um, well, see, like Jeff Bridges is one of those guys that I wanted to bring up last episode. We're talking about someone who can do drama and comedy equally as well. You know what right, I mean? Like right. he, he can do comedy, drama. He can sing. He can play guitar. And he, and he, like even when he was talking about his – his his handprints and his star on the, the Hollywood Walk of Fame, like he was still like the most captivating, endearing, self-deprecating guy that you ever see. And like I just I love Jeff Bridges so much, <laughs> like as a, as just a human being that I, I will put him on any list that you could possibly want. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> um, all right, so do you want to go through the other ones that didn't make my list? And then sure. you can say whether I'm right or wrong. Sure. Uh, and again, these were these were not easy. Like I, I probably could be swayed on some of these. Uh, Russell Crowe, thirty odd foot of grunt. <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, but he he did some solo stuff before he got into acting, and then sure. the 30, 30 odd foot of grunt came. And I mean, you know, and he's no slouch as an actor, you know. No, so not at all, Steve. Like, go back and look at. I think there's a movie. I don't know if it was one of his his first movies or just one of the ones early in, called Romper Stomper, which is all about like um, gang warfare in Australia back in the day and stuff like that. And he is fantastic in it. I love Russell Crowe, but I also have problems with the fact like him being kind of a D like to everybody that he meets. Like I, <laughs> right. I remember the story coming out about him hitting somebody with like the lobby phone at a hotel he was staying at because someone looked at him funny. Like yeah. I have a hard, like it comes back to the art versus artist. Right. Argument, nope. Like. And Romper Stomper was one of his early ones. Yeah. Um, I, remember, I never saw it. I heard about it. I was like, that sounds like a good flick, but I never, never saw it. Well, just not to go off on a tangent, but like one of the ones I wanted to bring up last episode was Eric Bana. Like we talked about comedians turned actors. Like, you know who Eric Bana is, right? The guy that played the Hulk. He played the Hulk in, yeah, yeah. Do you like, know he's a stand-up comedian? Like in Australia, right? Before yeah. he ever got his start, he was a stand-up comedian, and then he was in a movie called what the hell was it called? Chomper. I think it was about like the the most notorious biker gangster 
in in Australian history or something like that, and he played kind of this shaved head, big mustached guy and stuff like that. So when you see him later in his career, when he is he's Bruce Banner and Angley's Hulk, or he's in uh, Zero Dark Thirty or any of those things, and you see him as so American, and you're like, oh, this guy's a serious American actor, and then you realize one, he's Australian, and two, he started off in comedy. Like so, when you see <laughs> right. him. I think he's in This Is 40, that the Judd Apatow movie, when you see him kind of come across and you realize he's got this really good comedic timing that, mm-hmm. I don't know, there's there's a lot of, and so some people on my list are from the old guard where you had to do everything, you had to act, you had to sing, you had to dance, you had to do comedy mm-hmm. and stuff like that, where it's that... It was either you did all of it or you weren't good at any of it. You know what I mean? Like even Don Rickles. Don Rickles is notorious now for being the insult comic, but Don Rickles used to do show tunes. and You know what I mean? Like he was <laughs> right, one of those right. guys that wasn't above doing a song and dance and stuff like that. So that's when you start getting into the old guard. Like, you know me, Steve. Like yeah. I'm, I'm a traditionalist. So like some of my ones on the list are – guys from the 50s and 60s that did a little bit of everything yeah yeah and i you know what i didn't i didn't put um i didn't put mel brooks on there i didn't put dean dean martin on there i didn't put uh frank sinatra on there i didn't put sammy davis jr on there uh i don't even have elvis on my list so um that is a bold bold statement because i have all four of them on mine (laughs) oh wow okay all right all right um so let's keep let's keep going and uh, so again, these are not on my list, but easily could be, I could be argued onto them. Um, but sure. I think, and, and I think we need to preface this, that these aren't in, these aren't in chronological or these aren't in superlative order. You know what I mean? Like when yeah, we yeah. talk about these top six, it's not like number one is the number one. Like these are the top six that we can think of. Like in, you could mix and match how you want to do it, but these aren't superlatives. All right. All right. So. Courtney Love was <laughs> was was not awful. Like she had a run where she did some pretty good acting work, um, and okay. she Out, had, outside of the People versus Larry Flint, named something else. She was in a Sid and Nancy. Okay, was that good because of her or because of of Gary Oldman? Well, <laughs> it was good because of Gary Oldman. But. It was good because Gary Oldman, she was passable. It's the same thing as the people versus Larry Flint. Like, she wasn't great. She was good because she was good with Woody Harrelson. And Woody Harrelson's so captivating yeah. as Larry Flint. And Larry Flint himself isn't that captivating. But Woody Harrelson's one of those... Woody Harrelson's one of those guys that we had on our list, or I, I had on my list last week for the comedians that... Or, mm people that can do comedy and drama equally. I love Woody Harrelson. I love everything that he's done. He's one of those people that you could just throw him in in like a bit part and he improves any movies that he's in. So I hate, I hate Courtney Love. I really do. Like I don't, yeah, but she was in, wasn't she other stuff? Anyways, maybe I just remember from People versus Larry Flint. You're right, the other stuff she was in wasn't wasn't great. You know, from Um, Sid and Nancy, like she was great in Sid and Nancy, but. She was okay in the People versus Larry Flint, and she really wasn't in much else. Like she was originally on my list, and then I ever crossed off with like Rihanna and Method Man, and like like Barbara Streisand. Sure, she was in Yentl, and you know what I mean. Like, but right. I don't really give a crap about Barbara Streisand. Like she's a 
talented singer and a pretty good actress, but not nearly to the level of, for me, Dean Martin or Sinatra. Yeah, that's a good call. You know what I mean? Like you're talking about you're talking about yeah. Frank she had Sinatra. one. She did she did one role really well. Okay, uh, <laughs> m- moving on because we're, we're not going to get through this whole list. Um, no. uh, again, these are people not on my list. Um, David Bowie. Um, how is David Bowie not on your list, man? Like, how is that Labyrinth? Labyrinth and The Prestige are two of my like when when I was in college, I remember clearly. When we were sitting around, we got a little drunk and we took a little something else, and we really, really wanted to watch Labyrinth, which is to this day holds up because it's it's Jim Henson and it's Frank Oz yeah. and it's all these people working with practical effects and stuff like that, and and he walks in as the Goblin King, and you're just so captivated by him, and and you watch everything, even though he's wearing tights and his bulge is kind of visible and stuff like that, <laughs> right? But like. It's one of those ones when we found out that David Bowie died. I remember driving to a bunch of different movie stores trying to find Labyrinth because I think it was out of print at that point in time and stuff like that. And I was trying to find it. But it is so that that movie holds such a special place in my cinematic history. You know what I mean? Like, cause yeah. I, I don't, I don't remember the exact year it came out, but I couldn't have been more than 12 or 13. Cause Jennifer Connelly's only like 18 or 20 yeah, yeah. or whatever in it and stuff like that. Right. But I'm going to put them on my list. I'm gonna, <laughs> it, but, but I'm a, the guy he's got to replace is we'll, we'll talk about it. But I, yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I was, I was torn because, and again, there's a lot of people on my not list. So let me keep going through these. So yeah. Mandy, Mandy Moore is not on my top six. I don't, I don't watch this as us, but that was one of the top ones. Anytime you do research, you just look up, actor or musician's yeah, yeah. turned actor she pops up there i didn't like her music i don't watch this is us but yeah, i heard I, she's, she's really really good middle of the road uh, meatloaf not meatloaf. on my list but really, not on my really list. really good in fight club he's robert paulson and, and, like, and really good in um um uh rocky horror right rocky horror he was on he was really good on an episode of house i used to be fanatical about house i love hugh laurie i was i used to watch black adder with him and rowan atkinson and stuff like that and i loved his turn the the funny thing is steve so when when he was on house he played he was married to somebody and i don't know if you remember who colleen camp was now colleen camp was from police academy police academy she was yvette in the clue movie with with tim curry and stuff like that but wasn't one of your like grade school girlfriends named colleen yeah. camp yeah i was just about to say my first girlfriend in like seventh or eighth grade was colleen seventh camp. Or eighth grade. it was one of those ones i remember hearing the name colleen camp and i was like wait did she become an actress and then i saw yvette and i'm like that's clearly not colleen no, camp no, very different <laughs> but that's um, what you see her later in life you don't realize that she's Yvette from like the the big buxom French maid from Clue, which to this day, if people don't know the movie Clue with Tim Curry and Martin Mull and all of those, it is one of the most lost, underrated gems in like a murder mystery because it was the first one to like posit different endings and stuff like that, and anything that has Tim Curry in it's brilliant. Right. So. But yeah, so Meatloaf, so, Meatloaf was 
on my honorable mention list solely for yeah. Fight Club. But Fight Club's also one of those movies that I think most people misunderstand because everyone thinks it's about anti-consumerism and stuff like that, and it is to a certain extent, but the guy that wrote it is... He's, he's a homosexual, so it was all about the traditional masculine ethos, and it's all about what makes you a man and stuff like that. And then <laughs> right. you, get, you get into the crux of the matter, and it's been adopted by, like, you know, the, the right wing, you know, we're men and we're not going anywhere kind of things, where he was making fun of that whole ideal when he wrote it and when he when they made the movie and stuff like that. But right. like Fight Club, I, I love Fight Club because I love Brad Pitt. Oh, it's, it's a great movie. And it's David Fincher. David Fincher is one of my favorite directors. He, apparently he is completely a handful to deal with, but Social Network, Seven, like all of those movies oh, are yeah. so pivotal to me in my as I develop my taste in film that I anything that has David Fincher uh, attached to it I watch so got it and I, and I love Chuck and Chuck Palahniuk I've read everything in his library too so I'm nice. not going to argue uh, alright so uh, next still on honorable mention uh, Tom Waits sure um, yeah been a great stuff great I mean as a musician, top notch, um, you know, bit parts, some bigger than big bit parts, but, um, you know, I think, you know, kind of a life as an artist, he can, he can kind of spread his wings and go back forth between acting and, and music. And well, I, I, see, liked, I liked the fact that he was in the outsiders. So he was in the outsiders. That was, he's on my list too. But my, the only reason he was, he's even on my list, Steve, I asked you about this, I think on Friday when, we originally well, we started talking about it earlier, and I asked you if you ever watched the Ballad of Buster Scruggs on Netflix. And I don't know if you've watched it yet, but no, I downloaded it for the plane ride tomorrow. You will. All right. So first of all, it's the Coen Brothers. Like the right. Coen Brothers did Fargo and blah blah blah, and it's like I think it's like six vignettes about like it's all set in the old west, so it's all them like telling stories about it. And Tom Waits is his individual like there's six stories in it and Tom Waits has one and his is probably the most gut-wrenching one because of what happens in the context of it but he is fantastic so but I don't know if it's him as a quality actor or if it's just the fact that the Coen brothers are probably the most well not I don't want to say the most because I don't like to put superlatives on anything but from our generation Steve like from the, the because I'm almost 40, but from, like, the mid-90s on, I don't know if there's any directors or, like, even if you took individual directors or took them as a combo, I don't know if there's anybody that has a more distinctive style and distinctive voice when it comes to making films. Like, Buster Scruggs is, when you go back and you watch it, it is so Coen Brothers. Coen Brothers did Fargo and No Country for Old Men and... All these ones that have such a definitive tone when you watch them that when you mm-hmm. watch the ballad of Buster Scruggs, you're like, oh yeah, that's 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 the Coen brothers. brothers. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Coen brothers, and it's each one is so individual and weird and dark and bleak and sad and tragic and stuff like that. Like it's one of those. But music has such a big part in each one. Like the first one is uh, 
I think his name Tim Blake Nelson. I don't know if you know who that is, but he plays like this singing, like almost like uh, Gary Cooper kind of happy-go-lucky. He wears like all white, but he's the most skilled uh, gunfighter in the entire Old West. So he like shows up like singing songs and like happy-go-lucky, <laughs> wearing all white, and all of a sudden he shoots like four dudes in the head and shoots a couple dudes in the knee. And, Sings right. a song while he's while he's doing the entire thing. So, nice. watch watch the Ballad of Buster. I'm watching it tomorrow. So, okay. All right. So, I don't even. Know. Uh, Jason Schwartzman's on my list, but I didn't really pay too much attention to him. Sure. Um, uh, and this this was a tough one to put on the list, and and, and the only reason why is and, he, and it probably should have came up last week is Jack Black. Yeah. Because I felt like Tenacious D was more of a. I hate, say, I hate to say comedy act because it's not a comedy act. Nope. They're, they're actually really talented musicians. They are talented musicians, but Tenacious D was them start, they started that as a, that was like an act thing that they did. So, sure. I'm torn on this. I'm torn. I'm like, okay. But let, um, let me, let me give you a little bit of background that you can put Jack Black on there. Now, Jack Black's first movie that he did was one with Tim Robbins. It was uh, it was Bob Roberts. It was a political mm-hmm. commentary way, way back. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you remember, Tim, Tim Robbins is a musician from the time. So they actually got together on set and were like playing guitar and stuff like that. So that's what actually developed Jack Black's role into a bigger one in Bob Roberts. And then it actually kind of snowballed into him getting more acting roles so his musical proficiency actually ended up aiding his his acting career so that's my only and because his his careers aren't separate from each other you know what i mean like jack black has always done movies that have musical elements to it like i remember him the first time i really remember him like i I knew Bob Roberts, and I saw Bob Roberts a bunch of times, but I didn't really remember him because it's kind of a bit part. But High Fidelity is a combination of Nick Hornsby is an amazing writer, and the book was fantastic. And then I, I, I don't want to say it was Cameron Crowe that did High, Feld, High Fidelity, but I think that's completely wrong. But whoever directed it was really good. And then it's John Cusack, and it's and it's you know what Jack I mean. Black. It's Tim, oh, yeah. it's Jack Black, and it's Tim Robbins, and it's all of those ones. And, it's so based around music and it's the concept of the top five list that he, he runs with is one of those things that I still carry forth. You do your top six because that's what your family does. But for me and all of my friends from college, it's always been top five list because you can't ever say the best. I, I can't say this is the best horror movie of all time. This is the best action movie of all time. But I can give you at least a top five list that's the most personal for me. Right. And for me, one of those movies is High Fidelity, which is Jack Black, which is... Yeah. We, we used to have this joke in college, whoever got up first in our apartment, there was five of us that shared an apartment, whoever got up first, you would put on Walking on Sunshine by Katrina and the Waves <laughs> as loud as you could, and you would just leave and go to class. And then whoever didn't have class until later, you had to deal with Walking on Sunshine right, because right. that was... Jack Black's character, that was his early morning mix that he used to bring in. It was Katrina and the Waves. So yeah. I have a huge soft spot for Jack Black. So. I, I do too. I, I like I, I like him. I yeah. And High Fidelity is one of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, I'm a huge John Cusack fan. Um, that movie, again, the, the way it connects music to life is, mm-hmm. is a huge movie for me. Um, he just didn't make my list. And part of it, so I'm going to get into number six on my list. And, okay. And, and I can be talked out of them, but <laughs> I, 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 there's something about this guy that I just like. Sure. Um, he, I guess he's probably not as, as, a, as an accomplished um, actor as, as maybe some of the others. But man, what a cool dude! Right, and I'm gonna see. You probably can guess who it is. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you a couple of things, and we're gonna see if you can guess it. So, road scholar. Okay. Helicopter pilot. Okay. Uh, Army ranger captain. Okay. Gold gold gloves boxer. Uh, did I say helicopter pilot? Yes. He he landed. He's a songwriter, so he landed a helicopter. On Johnny Cash's property, and handed yeah, him Waylon, Waylon Jennings. His, nope, handed him his song "Sunday Morning Coming Down," for which Johnny Cash sang, uh, and he got a he got a he won a Grammy for writing that song. Um, uh, drank a bottle and a half a Jack a day, and he was in the original Star. Well, I should say original. He was in one of the previous "A Star Is Born." What, Willie Nelson. Chris Christopherson. Chris Christopherson. Wait, how do you not... You talk about Chris Christopherson and you don't mention Millennium and you don't mention um, Blade. But I didn't mention in movies he was in yet. Oh, uh, sorry. I mentioned I mentioned <laughs> all the other cool-ass shit about him. You didn't because mention The he was, Highwayman. He, I was going to say, he was in The Highwayman. Well, that would have given it away. But he was a freaking road scholar. He was in The Highwayman. He, he, like I said, when I, when I read the fact that he landed a helicopter on Johnny Cash's property, because he had given a bunch of other songs to Johnny Cash, and Johnny sure. Cash never recorded them, and he gave him Sunday Morning Coming Down. Okay. Um, well, no, I did. I completely forgot about the fact that Chris Christopherson was a fucking musician, too, dude. But, like, this goes Huge! To, He's written so many, like... Steve, uh, this comes back to the idea that me, you and I are both gigantic... Johnny Cash fans like you made yeah. me read Cash by Cash and and all of those things and so I'm so I'm so like it's one of those things that I can't get away from Johnny Cash music but it's it's the same thing like we didn't realize that Shel Silverstein wrote A Boy Named Sue <laughs> until <laughs> right. like what two weeks ago when I, I texted you and I was like holy shit Shel Silverstein light in the attic where the sidewalk ends you know a, a, the giving tree yeah. yeah all of that stuff wrote A Boy Named Sue which I've known A Boy Named Sue from the time that we shared a room together when we were kids like I, right. I all of that stuff and yeah, now now that I see it going forward, like oh yeah, Chris Christopherson's a clear a clear person that should have been on my list that wasn't because Blade is one of those movies that ushered in the the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Right. Yeah, it didn't have a part in it, but it it gave you the the, the idea that it was a viable property of R rated, you know what I mean, kind of violent comic mm-hmm. book movies and I remember as soon as I saw it I think I was a sophomore or junior in, in college like immediately after watching Blade I went and bought the soundtrack there's only like three or four good songs on that entire thing but I loved it so much and he was so good as like Blade's mentor and Whistler stuff like that. as Whistler yeah that, that it yeah. was one of those things like and there's a movie called Millennium that was about a pilot that flew like through a wormhole in space or whatever right. and he played the pilot and he was great in that so 
Anyway, yeah, he's like, like I'll be the first one to give you kudos for actually bringing up something that was never even written down on my list and crossed out. <laughs> all right, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, he was actually part of the I would say catalyst for all this because, and I haven't seen the new Star is Born, but that Star is Born like that's been it's like the fifth sure. time the fifth time they made a movie about a Star is Born. Yeah, the one the one that he, so he was in the one with Barbara Streisand, right? Yep. And there was a quote that he had. He's got all sorts of good quotes. He's like, filming with Streisand is an experience which may have cured me of movies. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty funny. All right. um, So number five on my list, 1991. Again, this this movie because where where it stands and like how movies affected me and, and how movies could move people. Sure. Uh, 1991, it was the Plaza Theater on Westery. Was it Westery Plaza? The one West down 12th, on 12th, right over by Villa. Yeah, yeah, the one right next to Villa. It was actually, wasn't it? Yeah, between 12th and 10th or 12th and 8th. Um, and this movie had all sorts of controversy around it. It was delayed opening in Erie. Bobby Chantaller and I um, <laughs> went because 91, that would have been, uh, well, how old the hell? I would have been twelve. Like nineteen, yeah, I was like nineteen, so I was, I was maybe back from college. Um, and this movie was delayed getting out. And anyways, it was Boys in the Hood. Um, okay. A, we we waited in line. We got in. Um, we you know as <laughs> we were we were the only uh, young white people in there. Um, sure. And it was it was an experience because. You know, we uh, growing up, I was such a huge fan of NWA. I was a huge fan of rap itself, like Public Enemy, the Beastie Boys, NWA. Like all of this is just aligned with like this kind of this aggressive, revolutionary type of music. It was kind of you know, at the time of groundbreaking, and it was very expressive. So, seeing that movie and seeing Ice Cube from from NWA in this role as Doughboy, and that movie, which was just a, to me, it was just. Um, uh, such a well-made movie and such a good story, and and sitting in that theater and and watching it unfold, and then you know at that 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 pivotal moment at the end where they track down um, where they track down the guys that that killed um, Ricky, yeah, that killed Ricky, and they shoot him, and the theater erupted, and people stood and cheered. And, and I was, and, and it was weird because it was one of these things where I don't, there was just a lot of, there's a lot of energy and focus around it. And and not everybody in the theater was standing and cheering. Right. It was, but it was like this, you could see that it was, it was making such a poignant point that this was a very divisive, divisive type of statement. Right. Sure. You know, this will keep going on and on until somebody stops it. So again, to me that and to take to take Ice Cube and put him in that where again, as we talked last time with comedians becoming actors, you forget who they are and you forget anything else they've done. He was Doughboy. He was Doughboy. He right. was he was the quintessential grimace face man, like the guy that always had that scowl on his face. So you see him in Boys in the Hood and early times with NWA and stuff like that. But then you see him later in like Friday and 21 jump street and daddy daycare. He wasn't in daddy. Daycare, <laughs> no, no, that was Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Um, but, but are, are, we there, are we there? Are we there yet? All those others, but, but boys in the hood, I think to me is just such a pivotal. And, and again, 
quality of music way high influential on me and that movie way high influential on me that's why he's number five sure because it's it's john singleton like john singleton is one of those dudes that like all right so spoiler alert we're both white dudes that grew up in like a small town we went to catholic (laughs) prep school and stuff like that like we weren't upper like we weren't even middle class we were like lower middle class maybe you know what i mean like our parents didn't make a lot of money like we didn't grow up in a big house we didn't have nice cars and stuff like that but you being seven years older than me introduced me to such a weird demographic of rap at a time that I didn't really get it. Like, I remember we talked about this, like, off air that I was 12 years old wearing an NWA, sh- or not an NWA, but a public, public enemy, enemy shirt to Holy Rosary. Like, when we had we <laughs> to our Catholic grade school when we were kids, man. Like, the whole the whole logo is the idea that the white man targets the black man and, and stuff like that. And, like, so you're probably, what, 18, 19, 20 years old, and you're introducing your 11, 12-year-old brother to NWA, Beastie Boys, um, you know what I mean? Like, all of that stuff. So I grew up with such a different perspective on music. Like, everybody else I knew was listening to, like, Cool Modi and all those ones that are kind of a little bit more pop Hip hop and stuff like that, where I yeah, grew up. Yeah. Like you introduced me to NWA. I remember <laughs> getting in trouble having NWA in my Walkman in eighth grade when oh, I was sure. in grade school and stuff oh, like that. Sure. So all of those those movies that you guys introduced me to, the music that you guys introduced me, definitely influenced the way that I appreciate things. Like because I still I'm a 40 year old that still listens to rap from like the early 90s through 2000s and stuff like that. So watching Boys in the Hood and watching, you know, Friday for the first time or or any of those ones and seeing Ice Cube, it I didn't blink an eye because I knew well, not necessarily knew where he came from, but I knew the music that he presented first. So when I saw him as Doughboy, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's definitely the way Cube was. And so when it got right. later in his career, and you look into, like, 21 Jump Street and 22 Jump Street and Are We There Yet and all that stuff, you're like, oh, my God, like, how far he's, How far he's come. Yeah. How far he's but, come. Like, if you look on his IMDb, he's got 59 acting credits. Like, not yeah. music credits. Like, not soundtrack credits. Not producer right. credits. Like, 59 acting credits. And a lot of them are good. Like, there's there's one that... There's a movie that he was in that I absolutely love from... It's got to be, like, the late 90s. But it actually includes two of these musicians turned actors and it's three kings like i don't know if you remember that movie where it's yeah mark Wahlberg, right mark mark Wahlberg's on my list because everybody forgets that he was a crappy musician at first (laughs) before he turned into a really good actor but like three kings is the first one that it changed the way you looked at war movies because it wasn't the vietnam it wasn't platoon you know what i mean it wasn't all of those ones that it was it was wars that we like yeah there was demonstrations about vietnam and stuff like that but there was like hardcore disagreements about you know the what was it saudi arabian storm or, or iraqi freedom or whatever the right or desert storm or whatever it was the 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 name of it was but like i remember seeing three kings for the first time and realizing that holy crap like ice cube's a really good actor and so yeah. is so is marky mark Wal- and then, <laughs> oh my god i i really like george clooney 
through this whole move. And then, yeah. like, you have Spike Jones. Spike Jones is the responsible for all of those early Beastie Boys movies or early Beastie Boys videos and stuff like that. Right. And you see yeah. him as that kind of sheltered redneck kind of overreactionary soldier and stuff like that. Like, right. I love Three Kings, and that's one of the reasons why Ice Cube is on the list because. I mean, Friday is a definitive comedy for me because it was the first time that comedies didn't have to have big stakes. You know what I mean? Like, it didn't have to have you're saving the world or you're saving your friends and stuff like that. Like, it was just a bunch of dudes, like, deeing around on their block, man. Like, the one yeah. guy got fired, so like, they just got high outside of their house and stuff like that. <laughs> Right. And and he wrote and he produced and I think he even assistant directed and he acted and stuff like that. And he was so good in that movie that, yeah, absolutely. Like, I have problems with some of the choices that he makes, but he's great in 21 and 22 Jump Street. He's great in Poison Hood. He's great in Friday. He's great in a lot of movies. So... Yeah, absolutely. Anaconda wasn't great. (laughs) All-time guilty pleasure, Steve. You have John Voight, Angelina Jolie, and Ice Cube in a giant snake movie from the early (laughs) 90s when CGI really wasn't that good. So you're like, oh my god, like these are, like John Voight is a serious, serious actor who has hundreds of credits and he's flipping around trying to, to... mimic movements so CGI can come in and, and shelter <laughs> right. it. So. I agree. Alright, so Mark Wahlberg's on my list, but in between Ice Cube and Mark Wahlberg is Jared Leto. Ugh, get out of here. Really? Yep, take him off. Like what? Dallas Buyers Club? That, that, for that for that role alone. Okay. All right, Just so. because I, I felt like, and he was an actor before he was a musician, Steve. So it violates your yeah. list. Yeah, but no. My so-called life w- took place in what '94. Yeah, but he was one of those like he kind of, no. he was kind of a singer-songwriter, and then he got put in just like that dude that was on 90210. Like he he was kind of that all from the beginning, at least in my book. But if I we're gonna take if we're gonna I take don't like off, Leto at all. I don't like know, him. Record for a dream. Nope, I don't. And Dallas Dallas Buyers Club. Dallas Buyers Club. He was even. He was really good in uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. But oh, I don't. I don't particularly like him. If you ever read any of the stories about his behind the scenes antics on Suicide Squad and his piss poor uh, representation of the Joker, I, mm. your punk rock gigolo Joker that he did. Yeah, no. but I didn't. I didn't see watch Suicide Club. Or whatever, Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad. Okay, but right. I did, and I'm, I'm, you know me, Steve. I'm a huge comic book nerd, and like that, that Joker. That's, that's not the Joker for me. He's not leather clad. He doesn't have damage tattooed across his forehead. Like, <laughs> right. So no, I get it. And Jared Leto's a great actor, and Thirty Seconds to Mars is very, very popular music. But I don't like the music, and I don't particularly like his, him. I don't. Like he yeah. was Jared Leto. He's What's his name from My So-Called Life? He was whatever his character was in that. And as much as it pains me to admit, like, Jared, like, My So-Called Life had a big influence on me when I was, because I was, like, 15 or 16, and that was right when MTV started 
branching off into into drama and you know what I mean like that's when they started getting away from their music videos and stuff like that so where I hated my so called life I loved a show called Dead at 21 and Dead at 21 wasn't any better I think it was probably actually a worse show than my so called life but I couldn't get into that because I didn't he doesn't get any credit for being in a fight club what did he get his ass whooped? Like he was, <laughs> he was supposed to be hateable in that movie, and he was. He was the physical representation of everything pretty in this world. Like I felt like destroying something beautiful. Like that's that's the concept. It's the idea that he represented the Hollywood norm of the pretty boy and the 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 age old the the traditional Hollywood beauty and. And Edward Norton wasn't. Edward Norton was, or whatever you want to call him, the, the mm-hmm. narrator, you want to call him Tyler, or one of the versions of him and stuff like right. that. I felt like breathing smoke. Like, that's one of those speeches that I always, I memorized the, uh, we are the middle children of history one, and I memorized, I felt like destroying mm-hmm. something beautiful. Right. Those are two speeches that I, I have memorized to this, and it's true, like, he gets pummeled, and you can't help but feel a little bit of gratitude that it's the ugliness of the world taking over the beauty of it. So, all right, I'm taking him off my list and replacing him, <laughs> and replacing him with David Bowie. All right, okay. Oh, we got to get through this. Uh, why? Why do we have to rush through it, Steve? I, I don't know because we're, we're we're on an hour. I don't care. What do you, dude, it's like <laughs> what seven, eight o'clock there. It's a Quarter to nine. Yeah, it's eleven um, forty-four here. I'm kind of hammered off of bourbon, and everybody else is in bed, so we can talk as long as you want, dude. All right, uh, Mark Wahlberg. Is, yeah. Like I said, that was next, and uh, yeah, I, that's a that's a hard argument, Steve, just because his music is garbage. Uh, well, yeah, that it, was a, that was hard. But I think as an actor, between I mean, yeah, award-winning. Uh, did he win? Has he won? Uh, yeah, he won for. Uh, I think he won best supporting fighter? for Departed and best supporting for the fighter. Like I think he has two. I no, could be he wrong. was just a nominated. He was nominated for, uh, and that was the cast nomination for movie of the year for uh, the fighter, and he mm-hmm. was uh, best supporting actor for the Departed. Departed, but he, but he didn't well, win. But the problem uh, is, is that the Departed is just him. Like that's just him being. South Boston Mark Wahlberg, you know what I mean? Like right, the way yeah, he yeah. talks and the way he fucking he insults everybody. Like that's just the way he is, apparently. Yeah. But so this is this comes back to the question of art versus artist. Do you you know that he got arrested when he was Marky Mark for assaulting like I think it was a Vietnamese family if it wasn't just one dude like and beating him within an inch of his life. Like, yeah, I feel like that just came back around, didn't it? Yeah, like in the it last did. couple of years, not yeah. too long ago. Yeah, yeah, but like, so be you look. I mean, they're going back to like Basketball Diaries. It's the first time I remember seeing him after Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, and I'm like, I don't believe it. And you watch the Basketball Diaries, and that's about what it's Leonardo DiCaprio as that drug addicted basketball playing poetry writing Jim Carroll. Is that yeah. The, yeah, these are the people who died. Jim Carroll. Oh my God, is he the one that wrote that? That's about him. <laughs> okay. The, well, ba- the guy Leonardo DiCaprio is Jim Carroll. 
Yeah, no, I know who Leonardo DiCaprio played, but I didn't know that that was the genesis of that song, right? Like, is that what you're telling me? That that, that Jim Carroll is the, these are the people who died? Or is he just referenced in that song? Leonardo DiCaprio plays Jim Carroll. Jim Carroll wrote the song, These Are People Who Died. Okay, all right, that's what I was asking. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. But so you look at Mark Mark Wahlberg, he was great in Basketball Diaries. He was great in Boogie Nights because mm-hmm. the reason that he worked in Boogie Nights is because he was so new to acting and that's what that that character needed. He needed to be that fresh faced dude that didn't know what he was doing and stuff like that. So that's why and Boogie Nights is one of those it's got Burt Reynolds and Julianne Moore <laughs> right. and Don Cheadle and William H. Macy, like one of the most iconic lines from that movie is like my wife is out there with a with an ass in her cock. That was a that was one of those things that William H. Macy messed up the line. Like that's not the line, but they left it in the movie because He's supposed to be frazzled about watching his wife in pornography, and it works. So all of those kind of combine into a great ones. But Mark Wahlberg is great in Three Kings. He's great in Departed. He's great in The Fighter. Like, yeah, he's not great in some of the later ones, like Transformers and Happening, or The Happening and stuff like that. But But were those, I mean, were those even good movies? Like, uh, you know... But to your point, I, I, you know, Invincible. Great. I like. I liked him in Invincible. I Steve. I live in Philly. Like it's one of those <laughs> things. Like I can't get away from Vince Papali. Like they talk about it on the radio now. It's it's the off season. Like the Eagles have been out of the off season for what four weeks now, and they're still talking about Invincible and and what was it the the one with Bradley Cooper Silver Linings Playbook where they talk yeah, yeah. about the Eagles constantly so it's yeah I I don't particularly like Mark Wahlberg to a certain extent but if I don't know if you've ever seen a movie called Two Guns with him and Denzel they are so fun to watch each other like the script's probably not the greatest and like the the, the movie itself is a little derivative and it's based on like a comic book and stuff like that but to watch two Watch Denzel play off somebody who can give it back to him. You know what I mean? Like, Denzel is one of those dudes that is great regardless of what he's in. And if he can actually have a little bit of uh, back and forth to someone that can give it back to him. And Mark Wahlberg's one of the few people that I've ever seen kind of not necessarily match Denzel because you're never going to match Denzel. But at least give it back to him in a kind of a sarcastic, different manner. I agree. I agree. I like like Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, and that movie Fear freaked me out when I saw it. Sure. I mean, that was like, he was like, that was, yeah. Well, it's, it's Gil Grissom. It's, it's William Peterson or whatever his name is from CSI. It's Alicia Silverstone when she's like 18, maybe. I, I still remember the wild horses uh, roller coaster scene and that, but watching him into the security camera when he starts like beating himself and he starts yelling and stuff, yeah, no, absolutely yeah, creepy. Um, all right, moving on. <laughs> that, Wait, what I, number are we on? I don't even know. Wahlberg was three, so okay. we we had Christopherson at six, Ice Cube at five. We took out Leto, put Bowie in there. We okay. got Wahlberg at three, so now we're down to. I probably have these order on these two backwards, but I have Will Smith. Sure. And again, he's in the Wahlberg category. However, I have a soft spot 
soft spot for summertime. Um, however, Why, wait, you're along with everybody else in the country that as soon as it starts getting warm out, <laughs> summertime still gets played. Like, of course, my my perspective is skewed just because I live in Philly. But yep. anytime it even remotely warms up, like that song still puts you in a good mood yeah, for it's got driving a- around with your sunroof open and stuff yep. like that. Yeah, absolutely. And he's had some missteps. He's had some, like, After Earth is garbage and Collateral when he tries to do the, or not Collateral, but uh, Collateral Damage, the one where he plays, like, the head trauma. His accent's garbage, but Bad Boys 1, great. Bad Boys 2 is in my top five action movies of all time. Men in Black, you can't argue the the, the success of that franchise. Ali, he, he, he embodied... Muhammad Ali in that in that movie, and Independence Day is is him that carrying that movie. Like Jeff Goldblum, obviously is yeah. likable in that weird way, but Will Smith comes across as kind of that everyman and stuff like that. Like After yeah. Earth is garbage, and a lot of his but stuff. Like Enemy of the Squad. State. I like Enemy, Enemy of the State. Loved Enemy of the State, and Enemy of the State is one of those ones that I always talk about. Like the the technology that they used in that movie was already ten to twelve years outdated, but in <laughs> right. in the context of the American government and their surveillance and stuff like that, like right. so, like the only reason they were allowed to use it is the American government was like, yeah, we're way past that at that point in time. Yeah, right, like, right. yeah we can track yeah. you already before they were more. We have better means these days. Yeah. yeah. And Pursuit of Happiness, yep, that was great. And Six Degrees of Separation is a pretty underrated movie, right? Jeez, you're going back? What are you trying yeah. to? You're going to try to out, out movie me? Yeah, I know. No, I, no, no, no. But you know, and and you know, I am Legend. And what was the other one? Hancock. <laughs> wait, wait. Can we go back to the fact that you said I Am Legend was one of your favorite, or you brought it up when we were having our conversations about the horror movies? No, no. We're gonna move on. No, uh, we're no, running we're out not. of time. We're, we're not, <laughs> Steve. No, we're not. We're not gonna fact. We're not gonna change the fact that that movie completely missed the fact, or of the title I Am Legend. So you originally brought up. You're like, yeah, it was pretty good. Yes, I agree. That first hour about the desolate New York and about him going about the day-to-day life and stuff like that, great. But the original book that I I love, and there's The Omega Man with Charlton Heston and The Last Man on Earth with uh, Vincent Price, and is great. But those two got the point of the book. The book, the name I Am Legend is, these these vampires or whatever they were... the Robert Neville character that Will Smith played was the one that went into their homes when they were sleeping in the middle of their night. It was daytime us, but went and slaughtered all these people. <laughs> so that was the name of the, like, that's the reason. Yeah, that, I got, uh, but you didn't even get it because you didn't read the book. I did not read the book. You're right. So, so I learned something just like, <laughs> um, yeah, just like you learned. I just about wanted Jim to Car- point it out for our Jim, listeners Jim, who say, Jim Carroll and the Basketball Diaries. All right. Now, again, going through this list now and looking at who's in the top of my list, again, I'm conflicted, but I'm I'm solid that he belongs in my top six because as an actor, really like him. I think as a a musician, um, he's done some stuff. And again, I didn't hear about him first. You know, it was one of those things where I kind of discovered some of his music and his other talents. But Billy Bob Thornton. Sure. 
right? Started out as a drummer, played yep. in bands, still music kind of weaves his way through his career. And Billy Bob's just more than an actor, but I think just as an actor alone, he does enough stuff um, that, you know, I put him on the list. I loved him in the first season of Goliath. Um, I thought that whole first season was good. The second season, he was still good. I wasn't crazy. I'm curious to see where they're going to go with season three. Um, even it, it, it's, it's weird. Like I have a, I have a soft spot for the original Walter Matthau, uh, bad news bears. Sure. And I, and I, I resisted, like I hate remakes. I hate, hate remakes, but I watched on a plane coming home. This was in the last year or two. I was like, oh, I'm going to watch, like, I'm going to watch this. And he was good. He like, was good. He, he borderline he, great. He nailed the, um, whatever his name, I can't remember. Just based yeah, on his name. Yeah. Um, I know, I know who you're talking about. It gets. Uh, I'm gonna look okay, it up yeah. on my phone. Where, where no, I have it right here. Um, but no, like even like Bad Santa, he's great as the. I think he's NASA Flight Command in Armageddon or whatever it is when he talks about say, the, the wily coyote slingshot maneuver. Like he says it in such like kind of a disdain and kind of sarcastic manner, but still in kind of a professional capacity. That yeah. No, it's Billy Bond. Like, Buttermaker. Buttermaker. Yeah. Yep. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, and I think about, again, Armageddon, he played, like, he he just acted. But then you look at, he did Sling Blade, mm-hmm. and I even, I like Pushing Ten, because, again, I'm a soft Pushing player. Ten. That was the, that was it's the one. It's John Cusack, because yeah, you're, yeah. you're John Cusack, so. Yeah. And, but just, so, so he, again, top of my list. Now, you could argue Will Smith could go up there, because of his, I think, body of work. Sure. Um, but I think Billy Bob just as a, a musician and a actor, like he 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 he's got some serious talents from both. So I didn't I didn't actually know that he was a musician first. So if I knew that, he would have been higher on my list. I knew he played drums and I knew he was an accomplished musician. I know he still plays in like touring bands, but I didn't know that they were that the music came first. Like, I just remember him in, I think I saw him in Sling Blade first, and then I saw him in Armageddon, and then obviously saw him in the later stuff, but, no, I mean, he's a, I, I can't vouch for him as a musician, because I am not a musician, I think I can play, like, three songs on the piano, where you're a drummer, Steve, like, you're, you've been a drummer since, what, 12? I don't even remember. Uh, yeah, 14. Guys, I think I started in high school. So 14. First drum drum kit and stuff like that. So, like, you obviously came from a music background, and most of my music comes from you. Like, most of my influence, we shared a room when we were growing up. Like, when you were, like, 13 and I was 6 or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, until you actually went to high school with it, and they moved you down into the room in the basement and stuff <laughs> like that. So, all like, Steve, I remember Pink Floyd, The Wall, I just referred to it as the sleep CD. So I remember when I, <laughs> right. the first time I got to college and I got high and my friends were like, I'm going to put on the wall. And I listened to it. I was like, holy crap. I know the CD start to finish, like <laughs> every word. And they're like, why do you know this? Like you just got the, I was like, cause my brother and I listened to it. We're lit, like every time we went to sleep, you put it right. on your newfangled CD player that you had. <laughs> CD was... player, yeah. Was, I think it came with the CD player, or I got a free one. I was like, oh, this is a double disc. I'm going to get it. Maybe, but like um, the, all of the music that I got into at a young age, like even the like the metal that you were into, I listened to Iron Maiden and Priest and 
and Metallica and Megadeth, like way before the kids and I, the, the kids that I grew up with, listened to. So like all of a sudden, like the people that I knew from grade school started talking about what the hell was that? The the music that well, like what do you listen to? And I was like, well, I listen to Public Enemy and NWA, and I'm like twelve, and they're like, really? I'm like, right. Yeah, so. Yeah. I, and I don't remember Simple Plan, <laughs> but it was, that wasn't him in, um, uh, was it Bridget Fonda? Yeah. Bridget Fonda and, uh, I'm trying to do all this stuff with Everett without Bill, looking Bill at Bill Paxton. Everett. I'm looking at it. Yeah, it's Bill Paxton, I think. Bill Paxton. Rest in peace. Yeah. All right. So that was my, so if we go back to my list, we talked about a lot, but. Christofferson yeah. six, Ice Cube five, uh, Bowie at four, Wahlberg at three, Will Smith at two, and Billy Bob at number one. Okay, all right. I'm, those are those are that's a solid list. My my problem is is ever doing a top six of anything. Like it's one of those ones where I just start talking and I can make arguments for anybody. Yeah, so yeah. I still have other ones on here. Yeah. Like I know you probably personally don't like him, but Justin Timberlake. Justin Timberlake's one mm. of those dudes that is. He's been good in a lot of movies, but he's so good as Sean Parker in The Social Network about the beginning of Facebook and stuff like that mm-hmm. because he plays that kind of, he's a little bit arrogant, but still kind of smart and blah, 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 blah. So I really like him. Um, I have Sinatra and Dean Martin on my list. So the only reason I have Dean Martin on my list is because of the seven-year difference between you and I. So you introduced me to Cannonball Run at a, <laughs> at, a, at a time that I had no idea who any of these people were. So, you know what I mean? Like, when Cannonball Run first came out, it was all, like, it was like an all-star team of who's the coolest in Hollywood at that point in time. It's Burt Reynolds, and it's Dom DeLuise, and it's, you know what I mean? It, and it's, it's Dean Martin, and it's all of these other people that were, like, the coolest of the cool that I had no idea who any of these people were at the time. So when I saw it, I was like, who's this, and who's this, and who's, this drunk, who's the drunken priest that all of a sudden is driving In the Ferrari? Car, in the Ferrari with, with Sammy Davis Jr. So, like, yep. that, that led to my love of the Rat Pack at a really, really young age. Like, I remember in college when we used to, they used to call it, they, it was like swinger social and it was supposed to be like the roaring 20s and blah, 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 and everybody showed up like dressed like gangsters and stuff like that. And I would put Frank Sinatra on in my room and we would just sit upstairs and, and drink whiskey when everybody else is downstairs like drinking crap beer and stuff like that so I have a soft spot for Dean Martin and and mm-hmm. Frank and, and all of those ones and Frank is another one of those ones that comes from a music background you know the chairman of the board and then He's in From Here to Eternity. I think he got nominated for an Academy Award and the original Ocean's Eleven, which a lot of people don't even realize that the new one is a remake of <laughs> right. the original one with him and Dean Martin and Sammy Davis and, and Peter Lawfer and Joey Bishop and all of those ones. And and then he was in The Manchurian Candidate, which I think got six Academy nominations that year for, for Bogart and director and, and Frank Sinatra and all of that stuff. So I have a soft spot for those guys, but just because my background in film is so weird because of you being seven years old, seven years older than me, and then dad being such a Mel Brooks fan and 
seeing all this stuff because you guys didn't think it was a big idea or a big deal for a 12 year old to see history of the world or any of that you know what I mean like any of that stuff that it couldn't help but kind of skew my perspective on things <laughs> right. so but so those are guys but then it comes now we start we could, I, I, I do want to do something like later on so Cannonball Run has been on my list of things to talk about these kind of these um, and, and I want to dive into that in a later episode, um, particularly like that one. Um, ah, crap. What was the one with Michael J. Fox? Um, Midnight, Exp- or Midnight Madness? Midnight Madness. Dude, I any, love that movie. Wait, any that of those, was... but, but, uh, later episode. Like, But I want to get into those more of those like where they put a bunch. Like, I mean, Cannibal Run's like list of Hollywood uh, or, you know, or, 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 like popular actors in that movie i sure. it was just a, it was a who's who put them all together and and and, and it was a fun movie but it, like you forget all the people that were in it that was um, my steve that was my springboard into into martial arts movies because jackie chan jackie chan was that what was that the it was a kawasaki or whatever that nah, turned, was, the car that turned into a submarine with the guy that played jaws in I don't. I don't know if it was the guy that played Jaws. Yeah, the, it was the guy who played Jaws and, and, and James um, Bond. Uh, James Bond. Yeah. yeah, like that's. I and never was, heard that was of later Jackie Chan. Later in Happy Gilmore. Yeah. I never heard who Jackie Chan was, and all of a sudden, like as I got older, and I was like, who was that guy that drove the the weird car that turned into a submarine and stuff? And I was like, oh my god, he's a major action star in in China and stuff. And then all of a sudden, I started watching all of Jackie Chan's movies and stuff like that. So. I agree with that. But the other ones I have are a little bit more just for people I want to reference. Harry Connick Jr. Yeah. Harry, Harry Connick Jr. is the voice of the, well, the, the, the the good guy in Iron Giant. Oh, yeah. Which is, which you know what I mean? Jennifer like, Aniston. Yeah, yeah. And I'm people forget that Vin Diesel is the voice of the giant and stuff <laughs> like that. But there's a movie, I think it was in the early 90s, called Copycat. With Sigourney Weaver, where he played like a serial killer, and you're used to him being yeah, he's pretty of, clean cut. Yeah. yeah, the crooner and stuff like that, and then he comes out playing this dirty southern redneck serial killer, and you're like, oh my god, he's so good. And then he's got a bit part in Independence Day, and but the movie that I always want to reference with him is Memphis Belle, like. Steve, you know my penchant for World War II movies yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. And Memphis Belle is one of those ones that I can use for Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon just because there are so many people in that movie. You know what I mean? It's Eric Stoltz and it's Matt, or it's uh, Matthew Modine and it's Harry Connick Jr. And that everybody on that flight crew went on to bigger and better things. So you can always kind of boil it back down because all of those guys were in a movie with Kevin Bacon at some point in time. So, <laughs> right. So you can always use that. But the only reason I wanted to bring up Harry Connick is for Iron Giant, which I still think they should make a, a sequel to. But then the rest of them are just kind of, kind of honorary mention for rappers and stuff like that. Like DMX, who is one of my favorite rappers of all time. There's a movie called Belly, which it's like him and Nas and the, I think it's T I or not T I uh T Boz from uh who's who sang Waterfalls? The crappy girl it was Left Eye Chili. Chili. Yeah. Um, yeah. Left Eye Lopez and T Boz was it T L C 
Oh yeah, right. So like he was in that, and then he was in a bunch of really bad action movies with Jack or uh, Jet Li, like Cradle to Grave, and all those ones. I love DMX. So like, there's a movie called Belly. It was by a guy that a guy named Hype Williams that is like one of the weirdest, but it visually is one of the most arresting things that you'll see. Right. And then Ti, like I know that he's not a good actor, but he's so good in Ant Man. Like it's one of those ones. Like Ant Man finally brought some brevity to the the Marvel universe because you have Paul Rudd just kind of acting like a a, a jackass and stuff like that. So I always like that one. But the one I wanted to talk about is Ludacris. Like now Ludacris isn't a big time star, but I just wanted to, if you remember the first Fast and the Furious, so the first Fast and the Furious Jaw Rule was in and Jaw Rule only had kind of like a bit part in it it, and Mm -hmm. He wasn't really, and he was only paid fifteen grand for the first movie, and then the first one kind of blew up and like went way bigger, like made Vin Diesel a star, made Paul Walker a star, and stuff like that, and it blew up, and so they made an offer to Jaw Rule to be in the second one, and he was like, Nah, man, he's like, I'm good. They offered him a half a million dollars. All right, so the first one was fifteen thousand dollars, and the next one was five hundred thousand dollars, and he was like, Nah, he's like, I'm making plenty of money off my music and stuff like that. He was like, I don't need that. So he stepped out and Ludacris stepped in. And now if you don't understand that Ludacris has been a part of the most successful (laughs) movie franchise for the past 10 years and has probably made over a hundred million dollars just on being in these past six movies. It's one of those ones that I always want to point out. Like I, I watched the fire the fire festival documentary yeah, yeah, yeah. that they had on Netflix. Job rule. Yeah. Screw you, job rule. Good. <laughs> you get everything that's coming to you for thinking you're bigger than anything that actually has ever been presented to you. And Ludacris came in and was super excited for the role. And the second one, Too Fast, Too Furious, is garbage and is probably one of the worst ones of the entire the entire series. But he is so good and so enthusiastic about the role that he can't help to be captivating. Like I don't really remember him from other things he was in like hustle and flow and a couple of the other movies Mm -hmm. and stuff like that but for him to just be in this one movie franchise because this former musician turned actor turned it down good screw you jaw roll and i wish (laughs) nothing but bad on you so but that's it like Ludacris made a decision to be in a movie franchise and is now set for the rest of his life where jaw roll made a bad decision and is now not set for the rest of his life but and then it's like Busta Rhymes I bring Busta Rhymes up because one he's one of my favorite rappers of all time but he was he was in a movie with Sean Connery like there's a movie called Finding Forrester about an inner city kid that's like an extremely talented author and stuff like that and he he befriends like an old recluse author who played by Sean Connery and Buster Rhymes plays like his older brother and he gives like this really bad speech about how Mm -hmm. he's such a good kid but it sticks in my head just because it was such a pivotal time in my mind and he was also in when they tried to bring back Halloween which now years later wasn't the smartest move but if you go back and revisit like Halloween Resurrected or uh, quote unquote Halloween H2O it's a good movie. Like it's not it's not good in the context of the of the Halloween series, but it's a good movie on the outside of it. And he was also on Higher Learning. I don't know if you remember that from 
like I think it was mid nineties. I think it was like ninety three or something. John Singleton mm-hmm. and Michael yeah, Rappaport yeah. and stuff about a shooting at a campus. He's great in that. I Ice Cube's that. in that. I'm looking yep. at it now. Like Lawrence Fishburne's in Lawrence it. Lawrence Fishburne. So, yeah. I think it was, yeah. was. Is he knowledge in that? Oh no, knowledge was. That was from Belly. No, Furious Styles. Yeah, Styles was from uh, Boys in the Hood. Furious Styles. Yeah, but those are all like I mean, but that. Those last ones, Busta, DMX, TI, are all ones just because of my penchant for hip-hop. But all the other ones you covered, Will Smith, Wahlberg, Tom Waits. I had a couple other ones, like Most Def, nah. Lenny Kravitz, nah. Mick Jagger, nah. But, no, no I think we covered it, you know, and... One I yeah. wanted to bring up that I don't think you realize how good of a musician that he is before he became a comedian, Fred Armisen. Oh no no no! I I, I was good, seriously going to consider him, but um, and what has he done acting wise? But oh I mean, no! He, and his comedy for drummers, awesome. The yeah, fact that the fact that he was in Blue Blue Man Group, dude, he's a seriously talented. Like, you're a drummer, Steve, so you obviously appreciate drumming talent. And like Fred Armisen is an extremely talented drummer that parlayed his musical prowess in. Well, he was also super funny, which parlayed it into Saturday Night Live and Portlandia and all of those ones. So, yeah, yeah he was he, one I, of those ones as my honorable mention, just because I didn't know if you would mention him or not. So. No, I should have, but I, I just because <laughs> I, I didn't, I don't recall seeing him in any movies. I know he's in Portlandia, but I and I know he's a he, hilarious. He's, a, he's an anchor and, man and stuff like that. Like he's yeah. bit parts in a bunch of stuff. He but, was in Zoolander too. Yep. So. All right, man. We uh, we pulled a ninety-minute one this time, um, so yeah, it's it was good. Twelve here on the East Coast. All right. Well, you need to get to bed. <laughs> I need to go uh, get ready for my trip tomorrow. But this has been good. Um, again, we'll do this again next weekend. And uh, you can follow us uh, on on Twitter at at MatchWits. That's Match and then W I T T S. Uh, or to go to our website at www.matchwits.com. That's matchwits, two T's, one uh, S.com. And uh, until next time, uh, have a good weekend, and we'll talk soon.